Hi, guys, and welcome to our podcast, Healing the Broken Marriage. I'm your host, Alicia. And today I am so excited because I have Maddie Stonier on the podcast. And for those of you who don't know, Maddie is a licensed therapist. She's president of One Life Counseling and president of Healing Center SD Incorporated. Maddie is a certified EMDR therapist, a certified sexual addiction therapist, and trained in restoration therapy. Maddie's experience and training is in trauma psychotherapy, post-care for victims of human trafficking, international missions, and Holy Spirit-led healing. And after reading that bio, I am just so thrilled that you are on the podcast and I'm so thankful. And I just wanted to um, have an amazing conversation today with you. So welcome, Maddie. Yes, I'm so glad to be here talking with you. It's so many things I'm passionate about and so excited to have this conversation today. Oh yeah, totally. This is like right up your alley. So I'm just so thrilled. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so on this podcast, we talk a lot about hard topics that couples face. And a lot of these topics really derived from, you know, me and my husband's own marriage hardship. Right. And so today I really wanted to talk to you about something that was and is um, can still be hard for me. And I'm sure it is for a lot of other people's because it seems like a lot of things that we walk through, I find that a lot of other couples are walking through as well. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So on this podcast, we talked a lot. We talk a lot about forgiveness mm. and the importance of forgiving, but trusting someone is so different. And I think a lot of times we tend to connect the two. Like if right. I forgive you, I need to trust you. And if I struggle with trust, that's only evidence that I haven't forgiven you. Right. So I was just wondering, could you talk about the difference between forgiveness and trust? Yes. Yes, definitely. So forgiveness, when, when you think of forgiveness, it's really for us to be released of that burden, of that grudge, of that pain. Forgiveness is the act of engaging with compassion for the individual who hurt us. We want to tap into um, understanding, you know, why did they do this? We want insight of how did they do this to me, right? So forgiveness, we have to engage with those lens of insight and understanding in order to get our ourselves into a place of compassion for the person uh, so that we can forgive. Now, forgiveness benefits us, right? We become free oh, totally. of that burden of, uh, and that pain um, that they have caused. When we talk about trust, this is actually for the other person. It's giving the other person to stay in relationship with us. Mm, yeah. I like to say trust isn't given, it's earned. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so trust, earning trust is not dependent on us. It's dependent on the person, the offender, the person who hurt us. Mm -hmm. So that is why sometimes trust isn't built 
and, and, and earned because the person who hurt us hasn't changed and hasn't really earned that trust back. So it's dependent on their actions and their behaviors. Yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it depends on how much that person is willing to earn our trust back for us to be able to trust them. And acknowledging there's been a massive violation in the hurt, something Mm. they've done has, has hurt us. I like to imagine, uh, imagine. So your partner, your husband, your wife, imagine them, you know, when they betray us, when there's some kind of violation in a marriage, it's, it's as violent as if they stabbed us right? As as if they had a knife and they Mm -hmm. stabbed us and we are now on the ground bleeding out because of this violation, this hurt. So, so they're they're, They've offended. They've hurt us in some way. Now forgiveness is saying, I I'm tapping into insight and understanding, trying to understand how you could do this to me because of your own wounds, because of your own hurt and and trauma maybe. So I'm trying to tap into understanding and insight so that I can gauge in some compassion in order to forgive them of stabbing, stabbing me. So that's forgiveness in that, in that imagery. Trust is saying, you know what, I'm going to allow you to earn my trust back. So I'm going to give you this knife that you stabbed me with. And I'm going to trust you're not going to stab me again. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah. I'm staying in relationship with you and you still have a knife in your hand and I'm still bleeding. Mm. And I have to trust that you're not going to stab me again. Now, I'm not just, you just stabbed me. So I'm not just going (laughs) to give you this knife and trust that you're not going to stab me again. You just broke that. So what do I have to do in order to respond to this violation and this hurt to keep myself safe while you're earning my trust back? So I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, my proximity to you, I'm not going to stay close to you because you have a knife in your hand and you just stabbed me. So I know you can do that again pretty mm-hmm. easily and not, and it was a blind side. So I, I didn't know you were going to do that. So I don't, I don't know how safe I am. I'm yeah. not, I'm really not safe being in close proximity to you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to take, you know, 10 steps back. So that if you swung, you know, to stab me again, it's, you're actually going to miss, it's going right. to be hard, harder for you to stab me. Oh my that gosh. Makes sense. Oh yeah. my gosh. I, I'm actually a very visual person mm. and, uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I could just so relate to what you were saying and just the visualization of actually giving the knife back to the person. Wow. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. And so when you, when we hear that culture, uh, that 
what society may say sometimes or a mm-hmm. culture of forgive and forget, that's yeah. like telling me to, to um, okay, forgive the person for stabbing me and forget about it. Yes. And stay close to them and mm-hmm. trust that they're not going to stab you again. And what is that going to do for me? It's going to set the relationship up for failure because oh, sure. they haven't earned that place and proven that they're safe with with oh, my heart. Yeah. Right. Uh, totally. And just yeah. pretend like you don't see the knife either. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I see you have a knife. Yes. yes. It's saying, oh you know, pretend they don't have a knife. Exactly. Well, you- when you put it in terms like that, it sounds insane yes. that we would do that, but we do that all the time, not yeah. even realizing that. And mm-hmm. I know for me, trust was way more difficult than forgiving. And mm-hmm. I had been taught even growing up that forgiveness means you trust and you forget, which is crazy as we just talked mm-hmm. about. And that was just, it was very damaging for me because I couldn't master that. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was constantly failing and then shaming. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like, you know, something was wrong. It was something was wrong with me. Like, why can't mm-hmm. I just forgive and forget and trust? And that's, that's actually not normal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Or- no. And so thankfully I now know that I had confused the two to be the same. Mm. And I think just coming to that realization was so freeing for me that, so I was just wondering, could you share a little bit about why people tend to link Mm -hmm. trust and forgiveness together and the importance of trust, you know, being rebuilt to move forward? Exactly. And I do think, that it is that common phrase, forgive and forget, can can create that message and send oh, that yes. message to yes. that, like you said, linking them together. If you forgive, then then you'll trust. And mm-hmm. uh, it it really is important to separate the two because again, trust is not dependent on us. It's it's dependent on the person changing their behavior. And so when I hear you say in your story, oh my gosh, I'm a failure at, you know, trusting this, uh, my, my spouse, well, there's probably a reason why your gut said, don't Mm -hmm. trust because you were sensing maybe there's a lack of change. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's a really slow change. And so my trust is actually in line with where the change from my partner is. Mm -hmm. And so if it's a, if I have a low trust still, it probably matches the low um, change of earning that trust back. And yeah. And, and so when, when we, are trying to move forward and rebuild this trust. When you say, why do we need that to move forward? I, I like to refer to Gottman and he has this uh, image of this, re- this relationship house. And so what does a relationship consist of to have a healthy, strong structure in a relationship? And the two pillars of a healthy relationship is trust and commitment. 
those are the, that's the foundation. Those that's the pillars, the two pillars of a healthy sound relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, you know, why is trust so important to move forward? Because it's the the pillars and the foundation of a relationship. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when trust is broken or a fracture, you know, in the commitment, in those two pillars, there's nothing that the relationship can stand on without those two. Mm-hmm. And, and we, when we talk about something as betrayal trauma, right, that breaks trust and commitment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it completely shatters the infrastructure of the relationship and mm-hmm. levels the house down to, and so when moving forward, that's, that's the first step is building that new foundation. Now, the great thing is when we rebuild a house and rebuild the infrastructure of a relationship, sometimes that leveling is a blessing in disguise. Sometimes that leveling gives us the opportunity to rebuild this infrastructure, this relationship mm-hmm. with intentionality, with uh, effective tools with trust, with safety that the other infrastructure never could achieve. Right. So, so sometimes when a relationship gets leveled by broken trust and commitment, that rebuilding process, they, the couple has the opportunity to rebuild their relationship into a extremely healthy relationship that maybe other relationships wouldn't build because they didn't have the, the trauma or the, um, the need to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And so it requires a lot of intention, a lot of focus and energy to rebuild, but it can create some of the most beautiful relationships and marriages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What you're talking about, I was just thinking like, because, you know, for me and my husband, we had the trust and commitment pillars, you know, completely yes. uh, blasted. <laughs> and so yes. our foundation was shattered. Yeah. But um, like you were saying, in rebuilding our marriage and rebuilding the trust and rebuilding the commitment has been very intentional. And I feel mm. like beforehand, we didn't put that into it. Yes. And so we've yes. been able to reverse it. And it's crazy because our marriage now is stronger. And yes. you know what I mean? It's like yes. before all of the infidelity, before all of the betrayals and the traumas, the foundation still wasn't good. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe not the, as good as it could be. Maybe yes. it was just average, right? But you can't yes. have your pillars broken down and, and just move forward with an average connection. It requires that deep work in both parties and both partners. Oh gosh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, we had to Mm -hmm. have that trust rebuilt. The two things we need is love and safety. So, so love is, am, am I accepted? right? Love is, am I wanted here? 
And safety is, um, can I trust? Is, is it safe? Is this person trustworthy? So the love and safety are necessary moving forward in rebuilding. Uh, we have to have those two realities to have intimacy and vulnerability. Yeah. And so when, when you describe rebuilding your relationship with intentionality and a deep work, what we're rebuilding here is the ability to be vulnerable with each other at a mm-hmm. deep level where I accept you. I accept who you are. I love who you are, no matter what you tell me. And intimacy of, of letting each other see in to those places in our hearts where we have shame, yeah. right? And so mm-hmm. this intimacy and vulnerability is what's created usually once a relationship is chooses to rebuild um, that through the intimacy and vulnerability that love and safety begins to be fostered mm-hmm. where trust begins to be rebuilt. That commitment begins to rebuilt. Now, one caveat here is when there's betrayal trauma, right? we do not want to jump into vulnerability and intimacy too soon. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yes. Because they haven't proven to be safe yet. Yes. So we want to monitor the level of vulnerability so that that's the proximity to the partner with the knife. We want to monitor that so we're not vulnerable to getting stabbed again and getting rewounded, mm-hmm. which is not good for either partners or for the for the relationship. So we want to ensure, and we'll talk a little bit more in a few minutes of what that practically looks like. Of you know, mm-hmm. when when is it safe to get close? When is it safe to be vulnerable? How do I navigate that? Um, and it's definitely a hard process to navigate, but it's, it's doable. It's doable. Yeah. And I, I can attest to that. It is not an easy process, but it, mm-hmm. it is, it is doable. It's doable, but it takes a lot of intentionality, yes. a lot and commitment on both parts. It can't be, yes. you know, just one person is, you know, a hundred percent committed to rebuilding and the other person 75, exactly. you know, it has to be an equal effort on both parts. Exactly. So, oh, I love this conversation so much. Yes. This is like my alley. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, we both come from medical fields and I'm always so fascinated about what emotions, you know, what um, betrayals, what trauma, what all of that does to our physical body, you know? Mm. Um, so I was wondering, since you're a licensed therapist, can you talk mm. about what happens to your brain and even your physical body when trust is broken? Yeah. So, so like I mentioned, when trust is broken, our safety is violated. So, so that sends a message. I am not safe. And when trauma happens, it engages in our brain and and very it's stored in our brain, very different places that are activated. So I'll go over a couple parts of the brain and what each one does and how we see it, it uh, manifested in our life during trauma. And which when trust is broken, it, it compromises our safety at a core level. 
Um, and so when we experience heightened stress and trauma, our, we, we have a prefrontal cortex in our brain, uh, which is where our thoughts, rational thinking live. We have the amygdala, which is our emotional response and memory is stored and emotions attached to memory. And then we have the brainstem and the brainstem is where the automatic uh, response happens. This is where survival mode gets activated, the fight, flight, freeze that we all know of. This is where we get aroused and triggered, where we aren't engaging in our prefrontal cortex. We're not engaging with what's rational. We're not engaging with problem solving skills and regulation because our amygdala, our brainstem is activated into survival mode. Mm -hmm. So then of course the stress hormones are released. Cortisol is, is activated. So because of this reality of, of how our brain just naturally responds, partners who've been uh, betrayed, lied to, um, they are in this heightened state of survival mode. And what's interesting is if a therapist isn't trained in this betrayal trauma, if a couple goes to couples therapy after betrayal trauma, the, the husband or wife who's been betrayed looks like the one with the problem, right? Because they are in survival mode. They can look extremely dysregulated. Oh, for sure. They act a little crazy. I've been that one. (laughs) Of course, of course. There's that crazy making. So, and the, the person who has betrayed, they actually sense relief because everything's on the table. Hopefully, you know, hopefully they've come out with all of it. Right. But there is a sense of relief for them because they're not hiding anymore. But they dump all of that on the partner. So then they get, they come in all activated and look like the crazy one. And, and unintentionally, sometimes therapists or people helping the couple can um, gaslight the individual who's been betrayed. And turn it around on them, invalidating their emotions and reality when they're in a trauma response. So it's so important. We know um, how the body and brain react because then we can have compassion and space for the one who's been betrayed to go through the very natural physiological uh, response. And, and the body keeps score, right? That's a, a book where it teaches us how our body holds trauma. And so we hold it, you know, a pit in our stomach or, mm-hmm. or knots in our shoulders. And so the body holds on to this trauma and it needs to be processed through and released. Um, and so sometimes what, what's insane is because the amygdala holds emotional response and memories, right. um, there can be certain triggers that make no sense to either partner. A trigger could be a certain smell. It can be a certain location. It could be the beach or it could be in the car, depending on the trauma and the violations that have happened. Yeah. The triggers can can come when you least expect it mm-hmm. because 
there's certain memories that hold those sensations, those smells, those belief systems. Oh yeah. Right? I found for me that even certain professions were triggering for me. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it was crazy because I would categorize all, you know, say, I don't know, hairdressers. Yes. They were, they're all this type of person. Right. Or, you know, so yeah, I can totally relate with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Because there was, there's a memory, there's a belief system, there's an image mm-hmm. that holds that trauma. I'm not safe. So, so it triggers that safety issue that I'm not safe. And, and so when going back to the image with um, the knife, it's like, he, he has a knife in his hand and I'm not safe. And yeah. so our body responds to try to protect ourselves and go into survival mode, uh, which is helpful. Yeah. It's helpful. Yes. Our body, yes. our brain is trying to keep us safe and protect us from getting injured again. So we need to respect that natural process our body and brain go through. Mm. I love that because that was something that for me, I didn't realize that um, my body is actually trying to help me. Yes. <laughs> and yes. it would feel, you know, sometimes I think when those trigger responses come up, it can feel like it's not helpful. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I mean, you know, if you're like, 15 years restored, it might not be helpful at that point, especially if the, the, um, your partner is, you know, they have, you've forgiven them and they, you know, you've walked out of that season and there's been healing. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it might not be helpful any further, but, um, that was a a part for me that I really had to um, go back into therapy with was, dealing with the triggers because, you know, I would have people tell me like, well, why can't you just get over it? And then, you know, realizing the neurology of it and the Mm -hmm. physiology of it, I was like, I literally couldn't just exactly get over it. (laughs) Exactly. And one of the greatest ways someone can earn your trust back is creating space for your triggers without getting defensive. Oh, yes. So even 10 years down the road, if mm-hmm. someone, uh, you know, gets triggered, the individual who is trying to earn the trust back, if they create that space for the trigger and show compassion, attunement, connection with yeah. the individual who's being triggered, that immediately can create a sense of safety and trust. Oh, and yes. Love, right? Oh, yeah. yes. I can totally relate to that, yes. you know, because if I'm having... You know, we've been um, eight and a half mer- or eight and a half years restored, and I still trigger here and there over different yes. things. And my husband's response to the trigger makes a huge difference yes. in that moment. It really does. So I can attest to what you're saying. Yes, and that's what continues to rebuild the trust. Yeah, yeah. The trust. Yes, I know. So I think for me, forgiveness and trust has looked many ways. And I know for some people that I have been able to walk forward in restoration of the relationship, while with others, forgiveness has been from a distance with boundaries put in place. Mm. And I know that, especially like for me growing up, 
there was the, you know, the saying that you forgive, you forget, you, you need to be like Jesus. <laughs> right. And I agree, but there was never the, you know, if someone is not safe or maybe they don't mm-hmm. even acknowledge what they did to you mm. was wrong. Um, it was still the same principle. You forgive and you forget and you, re- you re-embrace. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to know, can you talk about how does someone know when restoring trust with another person is unsafe and yeah. what would be some red flags or maybe like boundaries that they yes. should have in place? Yes. Okay. So when someone is unsafe, just like you mentioned, there's not responsibility. They're not taking ownership for what they've done. There's a lack of consistency. Mm-hmm. There's there's no predictability. And, and often that looks like maybe they make a promise, but they don't follow through. No follow through was what they say. You know, oh, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to invest in our relationship. But they don't ever call a therapist and make an appointment or they don't go to their nice. recovery group. So no follow through is a, definitely a red flag that we want to wait and see. We want to watch their actions, not listen to their words. So when we see them rationalizing their behaviors or making excuses of why they're not in therapy yet, that, that's a red flag. When we see shame spiraling, when, when the individual has that broken sense of self and really shattered sense of self I call that shame spiral and say, I'm a horrible person. Mm-hmm. How could you ever okay. you know, trust me or love me again? And it becomes this internal focus and shame that they go into when you say, hey, can you hold my hand next time we go into a party? You know, oh, I'm terrible. I'm never going to get it right. I'm, I'm just always going to disappoint you. That's a shame spiral. That's a red flag. That means they haven't done a lot of that core work on themselves Mm -hmm. and their self-esteem. And that goes into that victim mentality when they're in that victim place. Um, Anytime that there's gaslighting, when, when they make it, you know, invalidate your reality and well, you shouldn't have a trigger because I've said, sorry, and that's the past. (laughs) Stop bringing up the past. That's gaslighting. (laughs) Yeah, that's minimizing mm-hmm. your trauma, like you said, that your your brain, your body has is holding. And so those are some pretty big red flags. And what's great about those red flags, it's all behaviors and something you can see with your eyes. Because when when we're trying to find red flags, it's like, how do I know if I can trust them if they're being honest? Well, we can't know if they're right. being honest or if they're lying or not. We have to look at their actions and behaviors to to navigate the trust process. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. I think um, I've heard this statement and I remember when I would hear this, it just felt so unhelpful for me. Mm. Um, if somebody says like, this has been something that has been echoed in different therapy groups that we've been in. Mm-hmm. Well, if you forgive, you don't bring it up again. Oh, no. And I remember thinking, <laughs> well, then I am so abnormal because I can't do that. I remember it, it was wow. just so sh- shaming to, so what would you say? Like if somebody has 
that sort of thinking like, oh, well, I can't quit bringing it up. So I must have not forgiven. I mean, I'm a woman yeah. and I, it's not possible. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I think what our, our responsibility would be is how I bring it up. And we're responsible for, for, for regulating and creating space for ourselves if we've been hurt and not shaming the partner. That is mm-hmm. our responsibility. We do not have a right, right to become an offender as well. Just because Absolutely. we've been a, a victimized doesn't allow me to become judge and offender. So we still have to monitor how we bring it up and how we communicate it, how we express it. If we need, if we can't do it calmly or in a helpful way, um, we need to create space for ourselves to process that and come to the partner when when we can come at a more regulated state. So we do have responsibility of our own to make sure we are still a safe partner for, for them as well. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that because um, it's also taking the other person into account that, you know, yes. even if something was done to you, it really doesn't give you the right, right. to then turn into the offender exactly. just because you have been offended. Um, I know for me, learning to trust again was very hard and it's actually still something that I struggle with here and there, but it, it can almost feel like learning to walk again after you've had a broken leg. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it comes with, you know, big steps forward, but also big steps backwards. And I've had to learn in that process to extend grace to myself with each Mm -hmm. milestone, but also Mm -hmm. with each setback. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone who is maybe having a hard time trusting again? Like maybe they, they have taken that step, they've forgiven, but trust is not there. What is something that maybe practically they could do today to begin to move forward um, in rebuilding trust? The first step I would say is just validate yourself that this is hard, right? Validate, yeah, give yourself space totally. and say, you know what, this is hard. This is very difficult. This is um, a hard thing. It takes a lot of courage to do and to allow someone to earn my trust back. So the first step is just validating uh, ourselves and, and giving us space to um, take it slow. Um, I like to visualize earning trust back is like a piggy bank. So, so we have this piggy bank and our partner, whoever um, caused the, the violation, they need to deposit coins in my piggy bank to fill my trust bank back up with them. So every, we, we need small positive interactions that add trust back into our account. It's, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I just want to do something really big during your trust. Well, that doesn't Mm -hmm. work. (laughs) It has to be, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to buy you flowers and take you on a vacation. I'm sorry. They would have to do that (laughs) continuously. (laughs) Exactly. That still only gets you one quarter into my piggy bank. It's, you don't get a thousand dollars in my piggy bank. So mm-hmm. it has to be small, positive interactions. And it's important to identify um, what, what percent, how full is my piggy bank of trust? It's important for the individual to know and actually communicate that to the partner right. of, 
you know, I, I think we're 25% full of trust and we still have 75% to go. And it takes those small coins to deposit in. And like you mentioned, you can actually empty out the piggy bank by certain behaviors as well. And we start back at 0% trust. So, I mean, hopefully it's not down all the way to zero. Hopefully it's, you know, low at 25%. (laughs) Um, But we, in order to move forward, one thing someone can do today is we have to give small opportunities to see the change in your husband or wife. So we need to give them an opportunity. And that could sound like um, expressing, hey, I'd really like to have a date night once a week. And I'd really like you to initiate that date night. That's giving them an opportunity to earn your trust back by being consistent, predictable, by being responsible, taking ownership for that engagement. Now it can be vulnerable to make that request because you don't want to be disappointed. So it it can be hard to make those requests and needs known, but that's Mm -hmm. one way we can give them the chance to earn the trust back. So we have to give them opportunity by saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to see if they can handle my trigger. I'm going to communicate to them and see how they respond to my trigger. Hey, honey, I felt this when this happened today and I got triggered. That's giving them the chance to respond well and put a coin in your piggy bank. Mm. And so we have to give them the chance. And then the other part of that is we have to make their effort count. So let's say they they plan a date and it's maybe not so great. <laughs> you know, it's like, did you even realize I hate sushi? And why are we at a sushi place? You don't even love me. Right. You don't know me. Yeah. So we have to make their efforts count. So when they, mm. okay, well, they tried at least, you know, they, they did that. They made the reservation and I have, I can affirm them and say, Hey, I really appreciate you following through. This definitely adds trust, you know, in our relationship. So we can give affirmation when they do make effort. Um, and, and that slowly can help give them hope that it is possible to earn your trust back because they need to have that hope that it's possible. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love what you were saying when you were, when you mentioned, um, give them the opportunity to build trust Mm -hmm. because I feel like a lot of times we're like, prove it, prove Mm -hmm. that I can trust you and not extending, you know, the opportunity. I mean, just changing the wording in that, I think makes a huge difference. Yes. And what's Uh, important is that we do have those boundaries set up. So we create that safety for ourselves. So it's important that we set these boundaries to create safety for ourselves while we're letting them earn our trust back. This gives us that empowered state where we're not, we're not vulnerable victim to them hurting us again. So we come from this empowered state, Mm -hmm. which is living with those boundaries. And, and practically speaking, those boundaries could be we're sleeping in different rooms until I feel safe with being in the same bed with you. Um, And that boundary creates safety and space for them to become that safe person you need in order for that boundary to become more flexible 
boundaries aren't permanent and rigid. So it depends on them earning that trust back. Right. But then we can soften those boundaries as time progresses. And the biggest thing about trust is it takes time. Yes. It takes time. And there's no shortcut to that. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Trust is a marathon. It is mm-hmm. not a sprint. And I I feel like people just need to give themselves grace. I mean, it's yes. hard. It's yes. a hard thing. And it is okay. I, I know that for me, a lot of times that um, you know, people in my close inner circle, they would want to rush me mm. to get to that point or get to that place because, you know, they were tired. They didn't want to see me hurt. They didn't want to see me struggling. Yes. And so they would want me to be okay mm. at, at any cost, you know, basically. But I just want to say it is okay to not be okay. Yes. And I really had to give myself permission to, okay, this is Alicia's timeline. <laughs> This is not anyone else's timeline and just releasing other people's expectations of me. And then any expectations that I may have put on myself, you know, based on what other people's opinions were, just releasing them of that non-obligation was so freeing for me. So I have just, oh my gosh, I like, I don't want this podcast to end. Like the content (laughs) is so good. It's so good. But Oh my gosh, Maddie, thank you so much for coming on. Just the everything you've been talking about, the information, the life lessons, you know, what we can apply to our lives has just been so rich. And I I just so appreciate it. And I often find that topics that I need to talk about, there are so many others that need that too. So I was just wondering, would you please let the listener know? Um how they can connect with you or what you're working on right now. So I just launched a nonprofit called Healing Center SD and you can find it at healingcentersd.com. And what we do there is, is I have a team of prayer counselors who help connect our heart to, to truths about ourselves, others, and God. Now, a lot of times we know things in our head. We know, especially in what we're talking about today, we know we're lovable theoretically because we're human, but how come our heart doesn't Mm -hmm. feel lovable? And and so what we do is we journey with people of, of connecting these belief systems. I am lovable. I am valuable in our heart where it's something that we can actually feel is true and not just say it from our, our knowledge. So that's a new nonprofit I'm working on. I'm seeing clients there as well and really seeing a lot of freedom and healing coming through those sessions. So it's been really exciting to be a part of. I absolutely love that. I love that. I love your heart. I just, I love your heart. You're an amazing person. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. You're so fun to chat with and love it. I just wanted to um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you, Maddie, so much for your time. And like, as always, guys, until next time, we bless you.